Salutations from the virtual oasis of the beautiful campus of Coppin State University in West Baltimore, Maryland. I'm Dr. Beverly O'Brien, Dean of the College of Behavioral and Social Sciences, along with my co-host, Dr. Larry Harry Legum, a professor in the College of Behavioral and Social Sciences, and this is the Coppin Connection Podcast. Dr. Legum, how are you? I'm fine. Now, Dean O'Brien, you said Larry. Let me just say it's Harry, as you well know. You can call me anything, but not Larry. I, I called you Larry. Yeah, I believe you did, but it's all good. You just want to do the Harry with the L. Harry that, L. That's right. You just want to see if I'm paying attention. So yeah, what? I did. I did. And you were. I'm so. I'm so. How could I do that after all these years? But well, I apologize, Dr. Harry L. Legum. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm um, still surviving our current environment. It is what it is. And um, we don't want it to be what it is. But ironically, it is now the focus of our not only this show, but the next three shows, because um, we decided in thinking about all these new normals that we should start talking about the impact of these new normals and you know, while there have been pandemics before, there are very few people alive today who have lived through those pandemics of long ago and of the past. And, you know, aside from being a global pandemic, this has also been most of the inarguably greatest countries in the world that has been brought to its knees by this virus. And so politics and failed leadership aside, the reality is COVID-19 has changed the United States of America and probably the world for good. And our current form that is already a new norm is already not the old norm. And when the old norm returns, it won't be the old norm of 2018. It'll be something different. And it has created uh, quite a difference in the way we live and the way we act. So based on that, we decided we should have a three-part series. So we've gone from the first um, Cop and Connection podcast to the second, which is now a three-part series. And the three-part series will include the new norms, first in educational technology, which is what we're going to do today. And then the second one will be the new norm in physical and mental health. And then the third will be new norms in business and the economy. And that will probably include some of the changes in social interactions as well. So today we have two guests. One is a student and the other is a professional in information technology. Both have been impacted by um, the virus in different ways. They're doing different things in in it because of it. And so I want to introduce a student and a professional IT person. Our student is Ms. Fratavia Johnson. She's a native of Washington, D.C. And she's attended Suitland High School in Suitland, Maryland, and she's now a graduating senior from Coppin State University in May 2021, majoring in applied psychology and minoring in nonprofit leadership. This young lady has continued to work two jobs while having a full schedule at work. She works at uh, iMind Behavioral Health 
as well as Taco Bell. And she plans to pursue a master's degree at Johns Hopkins in psychology and continue to work part-time in her position in I Mind Behavioral Health while she is doing so. Because this is a young lady on the go and clearly has had, who has had many interactions with the coronavirus, including still being on the front lines of coronavirus. So um, very interesting part there. And our IT professional is Dr. Dion Nicole Kerbing, who is the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Technology at Coppin State University. And Dr. Kerbing's research into online learning and technology training has actually made her an authority in student performance in online courses. And she has noted, I saw in her research, although online courses have been around for decades, there's still a lot of misconceptions about online education. And in her latest published research, she identified 20 techniques that faculty can use to keep effective course design uh, online engaged, engaging for students to improve student retention and to ensure the mastery of learning. So she is definitely a professional we need to be talking to today about the impact of the virus on educational technology. And then as a personal side, little did I know that some 10, ten years ago now, <laughs> when I met and subsequently admitted this young lady into the doctoral program at Bowie State University, that one day our paths would cross again as colleagues here at Coppin State University. So it is such a small world. And then there is the fabulous, the one and only Dr. Harry Lega, my co-host, and Dr. Legum, that's our lineup. So we welcome these two young ladies to our show, correct? Correct. I don't know about you, but I am excited. I'm one of these people who is an optimist. I see the glass being half filled rather than half empty. And given that we are ending week number eight of the fall semester, I am just excited and motivated to continue on and to end in an auspicious manner. We are ready to start, and we're talking about the new normal, the new normal. So you think it's an accurate term or an inaccurate term? Is it fact or fiction? What is the impact on educational technology? That's what we want to talk about today. So let's, let's start with our specialist in IT. Is the new norm, is that a good term? And is it impacting us? And what do you think about that? Well, I would say that, and first of all, thank you for having me, Dr. Bryan and Dr. Legum. It's always an honor to join you guys on this podcast. And one of the things that I would think is that just generally in life, we're always and constantly evolving. And we never would have thought that such a type of pandemic would have come um, in reality. This is something that we thought would be science fiction. But in that, to an extent, it's going to be multiple new normals if we can kind of use that term. Right now, we're just in for, for the term new normal of understanding technology. 
um, in a couple of months, we're going to be in a totally different new normal of how do we better enhance the technology using it from the digital divide. We still have people that are still on the wrong side of technology that they don't have the right infrastructure. They don't have the right devices. Then we're going to kind of come back into a new norm about how do we integrate this better to have a campus experience with our technology? So it's going to constantly be a new normal with technology. Um, and one thing that COVID did, which is in a sense a silver lining, it became an accelerator yes. of having people use technology in ways we have been trying to get people to do it for years. This is not the disruptive piece that we needed to have a disruptive innovation, but it was a disruption that we needed to get people to see how technology can be beneficial, how it's um, supportive in all areas. And what we're hoping is that once the next cycle of new normal comes, people will not revert to the old normal of going back to paper, going back to manual, going back to analog, but to continue to be able to communicate to have meanings, to um, use technology in more meaningful and deeper ways. And I agree that this is clearly um, a new normal. I don't, I don't foresee us ever going back to what the old normal was. Uh, I don't even think it's practical for those who may not even like technology to assume that things are going to go back the way they were. Certainly, our work lives are going to change. Things that we said we couldn't do online before. We turned around and did on a dime in March 2020. So I don't know how we would assume that we're actually just going to totally go back. It's, it's always going to be an evolving process, but that yes. evolvement is always going to be changing for a different level of technology. For Tavia, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, absolutely. I'll, I'll turn this Ms. Johnson. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how has this impacted you? I mean, you are you're one, a student, and two, an employee in two positions. You work in the daytime in a, in a mental health facility, and you're working at night in a service facility and and going to school. How, how has this impacted you? Um, hello, everybody. <clears throat> I'm Retavia Johnson, and thanks again for having me. Um, I would say being in school, working two jobs, and um, also like being a senior, and been in pandemic, it has been like, it has grown me in an area in which I never thought I can grow before. Like sometimes you gotta get out of that comfort zone so mm -hmm. you can learn more about yourself. And during this pandemic, it has really opened me up to see like reality. Like one day you can be just face to face in class and then the next minute you can be packed. Cause I was staying on campus. You could be packing your stuff, going home and ha having to do everything virtual without a choice or option. So it allowed me to see that I got to think outside the box and not just stay within that comfort zone to allow myself to be open to different alternatives. And also while working in a pandemic, it allowed me to just see that it just allowed me to see different like behavior and shifts and also the mass thing. Like I had to become familiar with it. Like it wasn't something that I was used to. So sometimes I'll be walking out and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get my mask on. Mm -hmm. I have to remember that, you know, it's no contact. Like it just feel like it's just a separation between me and people and to build that more cleanliness and more safetyness and the precautions you have to take when, you know, things arise such as a virus. So I feel like while working in, in the pandemic, like both school-wise school -wise and business-wise, 
it has been very like a life changing thing. I'm a senior, so I never imagined my senior year being at home virtual. I just mm-hmm. always had the mindset. If I was a division back my freshman year, I see me in class just ready to hit professors talk and ready to get things done. And just like the biggest challenge challenge that I had as a senior while uh, during the pandemic was definitely internship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Trying to find during this pandemic was tough and it allowed me to to vary my options and to seek out different things because I had in mind to be in the Baltimore area. But being as though I had to be home because, you know, with certain limitations with on campus, you know, I, I used to be a residential assistant, but I had dropped from that position because I no longer wanted to do um, residential assistant mm-hmm. about that. And then also, you know, I was a teacher assistant for the psych department. So it just was like, I had a lot of things that I had to like draw myself away from. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic was kind of like that help and that push towards doing that. So being as I had to be home and not be at school anymore, it was just like I had to become uncomfortable. I have um, like about four or five siblings that's around my age. So, you know, they want to pre, they want to occupy my time. And then, you know, I have work to go to, then I have school, then I have internship and I just have many responsibilities. But the main goal was to, to focus and to um, keep that drive that I always have and to just allow things in and become comfortable with it because like, um, Dr. Kirby said, like, and like you mentioned, this is the new normal. So being as though this is the new normal, we just all have to make sure that we become aware of what is to come and just face that it's reality now. It is reality. It is reality. Ms. Johnson, I have a question for you. And the question is, you mentioned two components specifically with regard to yourself. You mentioned the work component and the school component. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, what was the transition like terms of the instructional delivery with regard to school beginning last March and has that same trend and how has the transition evolved the currently through the fall 2020 semester? Well everybody might already know but Dr. Legum is my is one of my professors so I would say underneath your class it has been swift because since day one you have been consistent um you have been communicating effectively, letting us know, you know, what is expected of as a student. And you have always used the black, the educational like Blackboard and Blackboard announcements, emails, like you wasn't just face to face. You also had that, you know, that virtue aspect already as well to keep mm-hmm. updated. But being but other classes, it was kind of difficult because they felt like it was new too. Like they were kind of like shocked and amazed and you have professors in classes like you'll be back after spring break this virus <laughs> and things of that nature even us telling ourselves like this is going to blow over soon we'll be back and then boom it was reality hit you will not be back you're going to be home and you're going to be in front of your laptop and you're going to have to force yourself to get up every morning and set those alarm clocks and you're going to have to become more responsible than what you already are now so I feel like it's a a huge shift like it had made people mature more in the sense like I have to get up for class because this is responsibility like this is something like if it's like a job now like some <laughs> students probably didn't you know pay that any mind and you had some students who will have to take that extra mile and email teachers and teachers not following out the students but students following out the teachers like 
hey, what's next? Like you just had people just becoming, trying to become more connected. So I feel like doing last semester, that was my junior year, the second semester. It was tough because you had to deal with professors who wasn't really using technology, but trying to, because they knew that they had to in order to keep these students equipped with the different knowledge that they need and the different resources that they had to um, use in order to get through the class. And then you have professors who already had it down pat, who already knew, okay, we just going virtual now. And we, you see students saying like, I only took one virtual class out of all my, I never took all classes virtual. How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do that? So I feel like it's a big, it's a big change because now that we have already got it down packed from last semester, students already got it in their mind. Like, okay, it's, it may be a little difficult because you still like in shock still, like really everything online. But I think now like students, especially myself, I'm just like, let me put my classes in my cart. This is my senior year and I just need to get to it. And I just have to make, make it happen because it's all about getting it done and making sure that you get those resources and that education that you need. So I feel like the first semester, it was a bit tough because you was just like, wow, still in shock. Like you just sitting there like, what? Are you serious? And then you had students like me who stayed on campus whose stuff is still in the dorm, but wasn't in the dorm because uh -huh. I had to um, wait to, to release things. So you just back and forth. Everything like, was very different. It was very different. Like my things are at school, but I'm at home. When is this? Da -da -da. But now like, I feel like people are more comfortable because they're at home with their stuff. They mm -hmm. know what is expected of them. The College of Behavioral and Social Sciences at Coppin State University houses the only nonprofit leadership bachelor degree in the state of Maryland. The nonprofit leadership program is designed to help you develop the knowledge and skills essential to becoming a high impact leader in the nonprofit sector. Students learn how philanthropy and nonprofit organizations help mobilize social change and provide services and civic leadership beyond the government's usual scope. Students completing the nonprofit leadership major or minor are eligible for a national certification through the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance. The Nonprofit Leadership Alliance at Coppin State University contributes to the university's service mission to the community. Coppin State University endeavors to serve the community by providing various learning venues whereby students and graduates may make significant contributions to the improvement of conditions affecting the inner city and the society at large. For more information, contact the Nonprofit Leadership Program Coordinator, Ms. Kenya Pearl at 410-951-3522. Curbing, talk about what is expected of them. What are some of the things that, I mean, there there is still there is still a divide. Uh, sometimes it's a chronological divide in terms of um, which persons are more comfortable with technology than others. Um, however, I will say that um, at Coppin, we do all due respect to Coppin, we have an internationally renowned information technology team. And so we have been very fortunate. And I do know that 
Um, once that was Tegrity, now that is uh, Panopto. Took me a minute to figure out how to say Panopto, but I <laughs> get that. But um, we do really have some phenomenal technology, and we have some wonderful people who teach it. And I do know that our all of the faculty at, Cal at uh, College of Behavioral and Social Sciences, as well as across the the uh, university, were taking courses that were being either as refreshers or new courses the entire spring break into spring. And then those courses were offered all spring semester, all through the summer. We've had to learn everything from course delivery to signing a piece of paper because everything was virtual. And so um, tell me what it's been like and what are the types of things that are happening relative to educational technology and how it's being delivered to the people who have to use it. Okay. Well, one thing that I think what was exceptional about Coppin that made it a lot easier to quickly pivot on a dime compared to other institutions is one, we already had a good cadre of faculty that were using the technology prior to the pandemic. And so for them, as Ms. Johnson mentioned, they were able just to kind of could quickly flip and quickly help their colleagues. And secondly, from a university standpoint, we had all of the infrastructure already available in terms of the te educational technology, the Wi-Fi access, the virtual private network VPN, which allows people to log in remotely, the ability to digitally sign documents, all of that was there. Um, it was just a matter of making sure that people understood how to use it. Our game plan at the beginning, and when I say we literally probably worked 24 hours a day, we you probably worked 24 hours a day, not just me, but the whole entire IT team. They did. We had to make sure that everyone, um, as much as possible, had devices. So we, so to, to the extent that we could, we had some older devices that were available. We fine-tuned them and we gave them out to those who, who needed to telework that did not that indicated they did not have devices. From a student perspective, we have ramped up our laptop ownership program. We had 160 some students to apply for our laptop ownership program. And what that is, that we provide a grant. IT, we supplement up to 50% of the cost of a device and the students will pay the other 50%. The amount that we supplement is based upon the estimated family contribution, which is derived through their FAFSA application. So if they have a zero estimated family contribution, we will supplement 50% and then it goes downward on a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we provided that was um, helping, as you mentioned, Dr. Bryant, was the different workshops. We have a learning community that we do in Microsoft Teams that allow faculty to help each other. If they have a question or they just need to kind of converse or um, get ideas, they can help support one another through learning communities. And also we had virtual office hours which were made available both to students and to faculty members because we recognized for students that, you know, kind of boxing them into a nine to five time was not always acceptable or doable. You know, in Ms. Um, Johnson's case, if she works two jobs and is going to school, she may not be able to come to an office hour at 12 noon. So we have them at different times 
throughout the day. And in addition, um, yeah, at night we do we do have um, we have because our peer mentors are helping students, and many of them have had office hours at 10 p.m. Uh-huh. And believe it or not, there have been students that have joined office hours at 10 p.m. I, I did once too. I have to tell you, I did once too. Yes. That's why I know. Go ahead. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we do have 24-hour support through our Blackboard support line that is available. So if we are asleep at 4 a.m., somebody <laughs> from the Blackboard 24-hour support line is awake at 4 a.m. And lastly, because we do recognize there are some that prefer just to be on campus, that prefer to, to be in this lab environment, we do have our labs still open on a minimal basis that students can come in if they need to take an exam, work on Blackboard, do their technology. We're also having that available as well. You know, I, that is amazing. Go ahead, go ahead, Dr. Legend. I'm sorry, from an instructor perspective, one of my observations has been after conversing with colleagues is that when we change to the um, virtual delivery, if you will, online delivery, last March it was I felt a lot of trepidation among the instructors. Now, when you speak to the instructors and and you would say, well, how do you feel about the possibility that the spring semester could possibly be at least partially online? Oh, fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's interesting how the attitude has changed. And again, thank you, Dr. Kirkman, for always being there and, uh, you know, having a great smile, having tons of knowledge. And there you go. Yeah, Thank you, Dr. Lovell, because you was one of our technology trailblazers. Ever since I've been at Coppin, you know, when we had Tegrity years ago and so forth, you have always been one of our trailblazers. But you just hit the nail on the head. A lot of people never migrated to technology because of the fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of um, looking stupid, you know, if I do something wrong, will my computer blow up? But mm-hmm. now they had absolutely no choice. And then once you kind of, you know, stuck your toe in there, it's like, oh, okay, you kind of went a little further, went a little further. Then you kind of ease into it, like, okay, whoops, it's not that bad. And the reality is, is that everyone will have a tech challenge. I, I had the blue screen of death the other night on my computer, and I'm a technologist. So, <laughs> comes to all of us, we just have to make sure that we stop us. And now that we're becoming more comfortable in technology, we just want people to continue to use it and even move to the next level of technology and how it can be used. What What are some of those next levels, and that you think that you foresee? coming because you know when Dr. Legum said how people are feeling about the possibility of spring being online the new reality is this spring at this moment is going to be online and because we don't we do not have the capability of coming back all together the um the science is not there yet we do not have um uh, vaccines to accomplish that. And when we do, we're still going to take a while for it to become global enough that is safe. So what are some of the new technologies that are do you, that you see on the horizon? One of the things that when, particularly when we started pivoting, 
And when we start entering in technology for educational purposes, people start to tend to use it on what we call the substitutionary level to substitute something. Um, to go back to the days of, dare I say, the overhead projector <laughs> that I know you guys are too young to remember overhead projector, but <laughs> but after the overhead projector, then pretty much if you think about it, PowerPoint became a substitution for the overhead projector that you were still doing the same tasks. You just had an advanced technology to do the same task. The next level is really to go into a meaningful connectivity level, not just connectivity from the perspective of connecting through the internet, but making sure that you are connecting with people, doing something visual, having even with the cameras available, that's considered a connectivity level. Using technologies such as Flipgrid, where people are able to do video chats and as a voice chats, as opposed to just text-based type of things. Using things such as virtual reality, um, even though I know this is a podcast, what I'm holding up is a 3D camera. And the 3D camera, and people can even do this on their phones now, allows you to take 3D images of any room, any area, and now even with the iPhone, the iPhone, nothing Androids, now also allow you to do 3D images. In doing 3D images, you can actually create, if you will, a simulated lecture. Imagine if you could actually turn and see the actual experience, feel like you are actually immersed into the experience rather than just seeing a picture of this, a picture of that. But the immersive learning, artificial reality, artificial intelligence is kind of where the next thing is going to feel that connectedness. Now, if people are not ready to get there yet, it's okay. You know, you can grow to that point. There are smaller steps that you can take. It can even be as something as simple as what we call Internet of Things, of integrating different technologies for solutions. For an example, a lot of people use video learning, such as YouTube and TED Talks, but that can be a very passive form of learning because you sit there, you're just watching. Eventually, a student can kind of start, you know, doing all the numbers of nodding off. But questions inside the video, maybe like every three to four minutes. That keeps the students engaged. That can be done through Panopto. That can be done through Play Posit. Giving, recreating, and reimagining assignments. You know, instead of just doing the, the, a basic research paper, maybe having a student do a podcast, you know, doing a website, doing a sway presentation, that gives a deeper connection with the content. So that's taking it from a substitutionary level to more of a connectivity level of technology use. Explain to the audience, what is Panopto and what is a sway presentation? A Panopto is what we call a lecture capture software. In that, a person can use their computer, they can use their phone, and they can record a lecture as if they were in the classroom. Um, they can show their screen if they have a website they want to show, if they have a video they want to show. All that can be captured in Panopto. The cool thing about Panopto is that it can be housed in our Blackboard, and the student can watch it from their phone, 
They can watch it from their computer and they can watch it asynchronously, meaning at any time. Thanks. So in the case of Ms. Johnson, who works two jobs and has multiple balls in there and juggling a lot, if she's not able to watch it at 12 noon, she can watch it at 12 midnight and she can still get the same information. Um, Sway is part of our Microsoft Office 365 account. Um, and just putting a little plug, anybody that is affiliated with Coppin State University, faculty, staff, and students, you can get Microsoft Office for free on up to five devices. That includes Word, Excel, PowerPoint. Do not go out and pay for it. We give it to you for free. Just download it. And part of that, one of the things is Sway. Sway is an advanced version of PowerPoint that you type in the information and it creates it into a presentation that is more suitable for a web presentation. And it just has a little bit more engagement. You can have the videos done in a different way. So it's a unique way of doing digital presentation. Does, does that work with pictures as well? It's it's great with pictures. It's great with video. It's it's really nice, and especially if you want something to live on a website. Mm -hmm. Way is better over PowerPoint, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Miss Johnson, I'm curious. We heard Dr. Kirby uh, talk about the various um, components of the Blackboard classroom. In your experience, which of those components have been the most helpful to you in your learning? Definitely Panopto. Um, as Dr. Kirby um, discussed, basically like it gives that student the time to go back and reference to what the instructor what the instructor has said or what they expect from the student. So I definitely feel like that um, on top of um, Blackboard announcements, I definitely feel like Panopto is a very great resource and I do encourage every student to tap into Panopto if you're teaching. Okay. Them. Well, I must share with you that um, one of my dreams, which won't come into reality at this point in my life, was I always wanted to be an announcer. So Panato, in addition <laughs> to providing um, the information, it also provides me the opportunity to say, well, a very pleasant to everybody. Well, you get where I'm going. Okay, with this. Tavia, the camera go off. I <laughs> no, it's because my, um, <laughs> my phone. It's dying, so it was dying. So I <laughs> now it was Dr. Lego. It wasn't your fault. <laughs> we all know that that this is that is was his second passion, and he he loves doing this stuff. He he, he he wants to be an announcer. He did do and he was an announcer for was it an Orioles game, Dr. Legum? It was Orioles baseball for your listening enjoyment. That's exactly right. My whole family sat in our living in our in our rec room and watch Dr. Legum announce the game. He did a great job. He does have a great job. He loves doing it. He's a passion for it. And yes. you also, know, but there's, but that also talks about careers. Like sometimes, you know, you think you have, you know what you want to do. And then other things come up in your life that give you other opportunities to do things. I bet there'll be a lot of different career um, pathways that come out of technology that weren't imagined before. And because um, you just don't, you know, when those things come up, you have the opportunity to step through a window and you think that um, there's not something you like and you find out there's something you can do. So I would not say, Dr. Legum, that at this point in your life that that is over. I see it still in my crystal ball. I still see a big life for you 
in um, the communications medium. Well, you know, Brian, I appreciate your prognostication. It, uh, <laughs> it only happened. No, but thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Kirby, question for you. You know, Brian alluded to earlier about, you know, different careers. What impact do you think that this will have on short and long term on the uh, work, you know, our workforce? It's interesting. I was actually talking to a colleague of mine who has a technology company and also just looking, talking to another colleague of mine. With this whole pandemic, I think one thing that workplaces now also recognize is they can get talent, not just from the regional area, but actually from across the world. Correct. Policies are rapidly changing. Microsoft just changed the policy to give people more of a flexible work schedule to say that, you know, you do not have to come into the office five days a week, eight hours a day, but given the option of doing more work from home. And a lot of companies are now learning that, okay, we don't have to have all of these people in a building physically to accomplish our mission. We can still accomplish our mission, people working remotely. So now this is the opportunity for a lot of companies to hire outside of their region and for people that are, that are looking for employment but are not willing to make the commitment to move, to actually seek employment outside of their geographic region and work remotely. We've really seen that from the exodus of people from New York City, which was one of the most highest place for cost of living. Many people are now moving to Florida and other places where the cost of living is much cheaper, but they're still able to retain their employment because they're working remotely. And we're seeing this mass exodus all across the country of people leaving places and moving because geography for the most part is no longer an issue because of the connectivity of technology. What we must make sure that we do, um, looking from a university side, that we prepare our students for this flattening of the career world, that knowing that they know how to use technology resources, knowing that how they know how to do virtual networking, know how to find these jobs virtually, and being able to have the proper technology so that they can take um, advantage of these opportunities because these companies are paying very well and they're just not technology companies. Many of them are also even in the mental health field, in education, even government jobs. So we have to make sure that our students are aware of these opportunities that are available and can be able to grab them when they come forward. Which goes right back to our original statement about the new normal is going to continually evolve. And there are going to be a lot of um, pathway jettisons off of the what spiking off of what we currently see. For instance, another thing that's going to happen is that um, people will be able to actually work longer, um, a longer time, and can opt to when to retire because they can work from home, depending on the skill levels that they have. And clearly, there will still be a need for. Um, some some uh, positions that will require physical presence. Uh, but think about the the infrastructure of the world. How many streets have been taken care of while there's no rush hour traffic in the middle of the day? And um, there there's a lot, there's just so much that has changed. And now when you go out, when you see all those cars out there, you wonder, where are they going? What are they doing out here? 
that's not supposed to be happening because you're not supposed to be out in the street at 12 o'clock noon. It's supposed to be you're supposed to be at your job in the corner of your house somewhere. So it's it's um it's it's a very different it's a different time, and I I do see that the involvement over time is going to be interesting to see. Coven State University is launching a website redesign project. The new website will be the hallmark of showcasing Coffin, an eminent higher education institution of excellence that fosters leadership, social responsibility, civic and community engagement, cultural diversity and inclusion, and economic development to a global audience individuals will develop a connection and affinity to the university by engaging in an inspiring initiative impactful and innovative website experience in response individuals will be motivated to act on a number of university opportunities leading to growth in student enrollment improved student retention expanded external support to the university increased visibility and name recognition and the attraction of higher caliber talent to the university. The website will have a flawless user experience, easy navigation, and a clear interface designed by MindGrub, an award-winning technology innovation agency. The new website is expected to launch June 2021. For more information or to stay abreast of the project status, visit https colon backslash backslash www.coppin.edu backslash r-e-d-e-s-i-g-n Because I've grown up over my life, I've always used to look at science fiction movies and realize that at some point in time those science fiction movies tend to come true. I mean, when you see some of the things that used to be science fiction that are real life now, I mean, at one point people didn't think of going out of space was a fiction. It was not a reality. And now we're talking about other worlds that already exist out there. All these things may come to pass. And as we look at our new normal with, and you just talked about artificial intelligence, we've seen science fiction where things that were formerly done by human beings are done by machines. We're moving quickly there. And I think another good thing, that's a good thing, if you call it that, that's come out of this is that I think Sometimes we as Americans take things for granted. Mm-hmm. And so this is, a, yeah, in, yeah. in a sense, reality check. And things as basic as our own families, our close friends. And so I think now a good number of people have a different perspective and, and hopefully will not just assume. You know, that's a really good point. I was alluding to that in the opening when I talked about the United States being the greatest country on earth in terms of so many areas. And, but being great requires certain things to happen. And when those things don't happen, things change. And we have had, this has been a real uh, reckoning, awakening for so many of us. And comparatively, we're nowhere close to where we might, where we should have been or might have been, had things been different. And so um, you're right. This has this has taken everyone by surprise in a lot of ways. We cannot take anything for granted, and um, 
And we have to be extremely vigilant all the time because as you start to learn about what has happened, you also realize that some of this is not going to go away. It's going to be about fortifying yourself to live in the midst of it, not that it's going to disappear. But when you think about the fact that we're all vaccinated when we're born, we didn't used to be vaccinated when we were born. And so we the, we are living in the midst of, of, of current um, medical anomalies every day, except we have prepared and, and fortified ourselves against them. And this is one of those instances where when you think about how long it takes for a vaccine normally to be produced, you're talking years, years. So what happens in the interim between when something is introduced and when you have safeguards against it? And so, um, yes, we have learned a lot and we are going to have to do things differently. It is going to require a lot. Dion, um, what, what are, so what is your prognostication in terms of, uh, use a Dr. Legum word, um, in terms of how you foresee us accepting the technology across the board? I mean, what, do, you, do you see that the divide is really um, an age thing, a gender thing, and everything is all equal opportunity? <laughs> what is it? Um, is there anything specific we can do to help prepare for these um, transitions? I mean, aside from the fact that if we don't wrap our minds around the fact that things have changed, that's part of it right there. I mean, you cannot assume that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go back to what it was. So what do you think? Well, you know, I was, well, first of all, my crystal ball broke last night. I'm sorry. Oh, but um, but let me just do the best I can without my crystal ball okay. since I, I don't have it anymore. One of the things I, that, that's really concerning is that um, with the digital divide, we, you know, there was a word or a term that was shuttered under the, under the rug years ago because we felt like, oh, it's no longer a divide. We, you know, everybody has equal access. But what this pandemic has taught us is that it is not equal access and it's unfortunately um, a financial gap for the most part in terms of the types of resources that are available. Um, looking at it even from not just a, a higher ed perspective, but from a K-12 perspective, those students who are in poor communities, um, versus those who are not in poor communities, they have less access to the technology. And when we look at the data that's coming out now for students that are not attending school um, virtually, I think that it's up to like 30% of students are not going to school regular virtually in K-12. What we're leaning to see is that many of them don't have the access. Mm -hmm. the access from a hotspot, from stable Wi-Fi connection, to a device. And even when they were trying to hand out devices, you know, there were not enough devices for many of them to go around. And for many of them that received devices, many of them didn't have the internet capabilities to be able to connect. So there's a connectivity issue. One of the things that we really have to consider is how can we get 
connectivity, equal access to everyone, to those who live in poverty, for those who don't have the money to afford it, and that they don't have to go to a library. They don't have to share connectivity with um, 35 people on a block and it makes their internet run slow. And what's gonna happen is that unfortunately, those people who do not have stable internet access or their internet access is slow, or they don't have devices, they're gonna once again be, be behind the eight ball of the career opportunities that will come because of um, technology, the educational opportunities that will come because everything is gonna be transformed digitally. There's not gonna be any more patients or let me come in and talk to you. I need to see you over Zoom or Teams or whatever. And if they can't connect and show their face and have an interview, they're not going to be able to be successful. So we have to really make sure that those infrastructural aspects are available to everyone across the board, regardless of their income, regardless of where they live. Um, and it's also an area in rural areas that many of them did not build the infrastructure that they can connect. So many of them are also behind the eight ball. So that's where we have to see. And we think that when we went from analog television signals to digital television signals, everybody assumed that, oh, everybody has cable. That's when we realized that there was a large population of people that were still watching their big TVs did not have cable. And many people were left behind for many years without access to television until the government provided the waivers to get the box, the converter box, to allow them to have digital conversion. We don't want to have a whole cadre of people to be left behind. No, we, we cannot afford that. And I was and I was thinking back when Retavia was saying uh, that one of the biggest challenges were internships. And we were faced with that immediately for on two levels. One, the fact that face-to-face -face internships were not necessarily safe. And secondly, the accrediting bodies for many of our programs, um, like in uh, counseling, psychology, social work, nursing, teaching, the accrediting bodies that handle them had to change their requirements. And uh, but as we see now, there is um, there is telecounseling, there are tele tele office hours, there, are, there but there's certain things that still require physical presence. Uh, Ratavia. What did you end up doing with your internship? So, um, <clears throat> by me working at Online Behavioral Health, um, okay. my, that's like my internship because it deals with, you know, psychology and child care and things of that nature. I see. Okay. It deals with like the psychology aspect, like children who are in like foster care and need that psychological help, like who suffer from psychological issues and need help. Mm -hmm. And that care stuff. So basically, I have a caseload of 10 and stuff. Okay. Wow. Check up with them. And, well, and, you know, Dr. O'Brien, I was you know, just thinking that um, as a faculty member at Coffin State University, we are very rich with regard to, thanks in part to Dr. Claudine, that we are rich in terms of technology and the technology that we have available to offer our students. So, Latavia, Ms. Johnson. You didn't realize that's the first time I called you by your first name? But anyhow, Ms. Johnson, um, um, when, wherever you do your graduate work, you will be well prepared in terms of the knowledge that you will have retrieved from Coffin State, as well as the technology that you have um, take with you and, and apply it 
to other venues. That is that is very true, and I, I think that is a, a great way of starting to wrap up in terms of um, educational technology at Coppin State University. I mean, one of, one of the reasons we went to this podcast um, format in, from the radio was to start highlighting with, with uh, the ability to have more time to talk about some of the very specific things at Coppin State University that perhaps people don't know. The background of the people who work there, the types of commitments that are there, the types of technology, creativity, innovation, and educational programming. Um, We're very fortunate in that way. And um, so I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And I'm I'm grateful for our two guests today because um, I have to, to say one of the other things I saw about Dion was um, that she thinks that one of her her responsibilities in life is to make things better for other people and to continue to teach teach um, to make things better. And and so I have to say that Dion, you you live up to your mantra, and she says it's a blessing. When, it's a blessing to be a bless. She's blessed to be a blessing, a blessing to others, and and you have been a blessing to others. And uh, so you have you, Dr. Bright. Thank you. So I um thank you so much for everything you do, and Retavia, I can't just tell you how proud we are of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you reflect. You are the reason that the people at Coppin State University do the things that they do. They it is. There are persons such as yourself. For going to school, working two jobs, you're not walk work. You're not walking a yellow brick road. You are clearly having to work for everything that you do, and you are coming out to be a just an absolutely lovely young person who has a road ahead of you that will be beaming, and it will be gilded in some type of gold somewhere along the way because you have put in the work to get yourself there. And you are a reflection of everything that we want to do when we talk about nurturing um, our students. You're the reason that Coppin State University has the types of people in it that work there because they are committed to making sure that you get what you need. And you are getting that. And you are, we're very, very proud of you. So with that, Dr. Legum, um, I think that this concludes part one of our series normal and educational technology and the next time we'll be talking about physical and mental health in the new norm and looking forward to that and if i may offer i echo your sentiments and wish to thank our guests as well thank you very much the door is always open by the way always open always open so thank you for having me appreciate it thank you well we are so glad that you you were here and we um thank those who are listening to our podcast because these are different times, they are new times, and we're pleased to be a part of changing the new normal and helping people come into it and acclimate. So for those persons who are also thinking about changing their lives in any way possible, um, we think that hope that you will consider Coppin State University as a place to enhance your abilities and your educational acumen. We're here for you. Dedicated people, fabulous students, and when when and if we ever get back to it, an absolutely gorgeous campus. 
So with that, good night, everyone. Stay safe, stay healthy. And as always, we want to thank Ms. Brittany Brookins, our work, our hands behind the scenes who keep everything going. Thank you, Brittany Brookins. Good night, everybody. <laughs>